If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. A little bit longer passage today. So if I have to stand, you do too. Just kidding. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was, finished his, was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem... And their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, who also, it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will surely give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he said also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers 
and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man, forgiveness of sins, is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up the persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good afternoon, church. All right, so we are going to be picking it up off last week um, where we were looking at the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. And uh, just a couple, I guess, contextual notes I just want to call out. Uh, It's interesting, in this passage, we do see the first shift of And John alluded to this last week, but we see the shift from Barnabas to Paul. And we see that right in in the first verse, how it reads, now Paul and his companions. Previously, it it was always Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then here, now it's shifted to Paul and his companions. And so for the balance of Acts, that's what we're going to be looking at essentially is Paul's missionary journeys and just the life of Paul, the ministry of Paul, and uh, how the Lord used him. Previously Saul, now Paul. Um, And then one other small thing I just wanted to call out before we get into kind of where we're going. Um, Again, in verse 13, the second part, it says, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So this is John Mark, and uh, John Mark left with uh, Paul and Barnabas when they got sent out. Um, And there's just this little note without a lot of details that Mark left and he returned to Jerusalem. So Mark was Barnabas's nephew, I believe. And um, although we don't know a lot right here, we find out later in Acts that there was 
some sort of division uh, and uh, it didn't set well, if you will, that uh, with Paul, that uh, Mark essentially ab abandoned them and headed back to Jerusalem, although we don't know why he abandoned them or why he left. Um, but we know that it turned out to be quite a conflict, and um, you know, later Paul and Barnabas ended up parting ways. It was such a big issue. However, I want to just say, uh, we also know from Scripture that they there was reconciliation finally. So towards the end of Paul's life, um, he spoke highly of Mark and, um, and spoke, you know, like, I can't remember the passage, but basically there was reconciliation met. And so I just, as a, you know, we talk about family a lot in this church and just about how we are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and there is conflict. However, uh, as the body, we don't have an option to, not seek res uh, resolution, seek reconciliation and whatnot. And uh, obviously it doesn't happen overnight and it's not easy, but um, we must, must pursue reconciliation. So just again, some contextual notes before we get in. Um, but so just to set the scene, um, Paul and Barnabas, they made one stop, had the encounter with uh, Bar-Jesus we saw last week. Um, this week, they're coming to Antioch in Pisidia, um, which, not to be confused with Antioch in Syria or other Antiochs, um, and this was in the Roman providence of Galatia. So one of the really cool things we're going to see in Paul's sermon is that he brings up this idea. This is the first place he brings up this idea of justification, the doctrine of justification. And we're going to talk about that. But this becomes a huge theme for Paul's ministry, and specifically uh, in Galatians. You will recall we did a series on Galatians a while back, and that was, that was a massive theme. And we're going to see this is Paul's first visit to Galatia, and already it's, it's one of his big topics in this sermon. Um, so as was their typical approach, you know, there's a long passage, so we're going to highlight some things. But as was their typical approach, they went into the city, went to the synagogue, and uh, Paul and Barnabas entered there. They were, you know, they were well known, especially Paul, uh, to a degree, I should say. They were, they, at least their names were known. They had formal training. And, um, you know, after the reading of the Old Testament passages, Paul and Barnabas were given opportunity to share a word of encouragement. And that's what they did. And so today we're going to pull out just some highlights from Paul's sermon. Um, specifically, what I want to do is I want to make a few observations about the gospel we talk about the gospel all the time. Uh, so just to define the gospel for our purposes today, because there is, you know, a lot of different definitions, if you will. For our purposes today, we're going to say the gospel is the good news that God sent his son, Jesus, to redeem sinners and restore our relationship with God. So the gospel is good news. That's what it specifically means but that God sent his son, Jesus, to redeem sinners and reconcile us to God. And so we're going to make a few observations about the gospel, and then we are going to look at uh, the responses in Paul's, in, uh, in Paul's time in Antioch, the responses to the gospel. There's two options for that. Um, so, 
last comment about intro. This sermon, if you have time, go back and read Pentecost. Peter's sermon in uh, Acts 2 very has a lot of similar similarities. Both of them are addressing, you know, are in a Jewish context, and uh, it's, it's kind of cool. So, so the first thing I want to call out about the gospel is uh, right at the beginning when Paul gets the mic, if you will. Um, the gospel is for all people. And we see this right, right at the beginning. Um, so look down with me at verse 16, the second part where uh, Paul starts speaking. He, very small, but he says, Men of Israel and you who fear God. And then drop down to verse 26, we see this similar type intro. He says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those of you, among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So, um, Paul and Barnabas, as I said, they're in this Jewish context, Jewish synagogue, and it was a very, you know, Jewish. Uh, the Jews were in charge. They kind of ran the ship, and the Gentiles were very, they were second tier. Even, even those that, you know, were wanted to follow Jesus, they were clearly second tier. And the Jews weren't shy about this. I mean, uh, we know that in this time, Jews would not even eat a meal with Gentiles. It was like, okay, we got our Jewish table, and then you Gentiles, you're going to sit over there. So they were, they were shamelessly, you know, second class, or Jews would treat them as second class. And I love this, because right from the get-go, Paul is clear that his message is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul, Paul doesn't apologize for that. He's addressing both. Because that, that, just to be clear, those who fear God are, that is speaking to Gentiles. It's those God-fearing Gentiles who essentially had been playing second fiddle to the Jews, but they wanted to be part. They knew they knew the, the Pentateuch and the Old Testament law, and they, they believed in Yahweh, and they wanted to follow God. And so Paul immediately is bringing them in, which is somewhat foreign. So, and then lastly, I just want to quickly look down at verse 46 and 47. We see just this similar type thing. So we just read this, so I'll, I'll keep it brief. But Paul showed up, he spoke his sermon. He comes back the following week. The Jews reject him, and they, they are not happy. And Paul says in, um, in verse 46, he says, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you, that is the Jews, first. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Continuing on, he says, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so just, just want to be clear, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is for everyone. It's for the rich, it's for the poor, it's for the slave, it's for the free, it's for the Jew, it's for the Greek, um, and it's for the worst of sinners. The gospel is for the worst of sinners. One thing I love about the Bible is that it, it makes abundantly clear that you can't sin so bad if you repent and turn to Jesus. 
There is no. Those that crucified Christ himself, the Messiah, the Lord is clear that there's repentance is offered to them or forgiveness is offered to them if they are willing to turn to Jesus. There's no one too far gone. And I just clearly, I mean, we're, we're likely primarily uh, Gentiles here. So this is just a great opportunity for us to just call out, just to be blunt, is uh, we, we have been grafted and we've been brought into this Jewish people, these people that have been chosen by God. We as Gentiles have been brought in. We, we were, if you will, Gentile dogs. We've been brought into the family and seated at the Lord's table. And we know in Revelation 21, at, um, at, the, uh, at the feast in heaven, that all nations will be present. The Lord, the Lord desires that all people come and all are welcome. So that's my first observation, is that all are welcome. The gospel is for all people. The second, the second thing I want to turn our eyes to is just uh, how much the gospel is God-centered. So the gospel is all about God and what he is doing. I think we often, this is a big one. I think we get this wrong. The gospel is really not about us. It's not contingent on us. We are recipients of the gospel, absolutely. And we are invited into it and we're invited to participate and to share but ultimately, the gospel is about God and what he is doing. I'm going to reread this, like, just chunks of this, this passage of, like, Paul's sermon. And I just want to draw your attention. Please pay attention to who is taking the action. What you'll find is that God is taking the action. And it's no, it's no coincidence that Paul words this uh, as he does. So... Uh, you don't have to follow along with me. I can just read it. I'm going to try to call it out. Um, but so he says, men, men of Israel and you who fear God, he says, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And he, with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness and after he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he then gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. And after that, he then gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And then he removed him, and he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. So God has brought a savior as he promised. The next couple of verses basically talks about how the Messiah came, the savior came, and what did the Jews do? They crucified him. They put him in the ground, and then in picking up on verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And for many days, Jesus appeared to those who had, been, who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and who are now his witnesses. 
And we bring you good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. And then finally, down in verse 38, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So, I hope, I'm not a great reader, but I hope, I hope you guys caught that. Jesus, God himself, God Yahweh from eternity past, he has been carrying out this plan. He's been working this from the beginning of time. Talking about this passage, John Piper, he says, the text is utterly saturated with God. Just in verse 6, uh, 17 to 30, 16 times Paul presses home the truth that God is the central actor in history. Don't miss this. God, the one and only God of all, has been acting since the time of Abraham and bringing redemption to his people to the ends of the earth. This chasm of sin that is separated, that separated Adam and Eve from God is the same chasm that separates every one of us, humans here today and everyone that's walked on the planet. It's, it's exactly what separates us from God. And every one of us experiences this on a regular basis. Some of us recognize this, some of us don't. But it is sin that keeps us from God. It keeps us from fellowshipping. We are made in such a way and we're hardwired to need and be satisfied in God. And yet sin continually prohibits that. And there's really nothing we can do about it. One thing to call out here is when God's not doing the action, when you see uh, the Jews, the Jewish people, when they are acting, they're often doing something completely counterproductive, doing something rebellious, hostile. In light of this, it was only God that could bring redemption. If, if it wasn't God, it would have failed. And I think we can all testify to that in our own lives if it's not God that is drawing us, then it will fail. We won't be redeemed. Real quickly, just because it's such a powerful passage, I want to turn over to uh, Ephesians 2. I'm sure you all are familiar with this passage, but again, Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking in Ephesians 2, drives this point home that that we're looking at and that he brought up in this passage. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, every one of us, every one of us here, we all were among them, dead in our trespasses. 
carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And then the verse 4, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, it is by God's grace, it is by God's sovereign hand that his redemption has come to us. Humans failed all along the way and worked against God, and yet his sovereign hand has continued to bring about the redemption pan. And I think we all feel this, not just, this isn't just a thing of the past, this is, I think, I think we're living in this at a day to day, right? We just like Adam and Eve, just like the Old Testament, you know, the Israelites of the Old Testament going through the desert, in Egypt, just like the leaders in the synagogue in Antioch, we regularly turn our backs on God. We regularly erect obstacles between God and us. Despite all this, God is still working. He's still pursuing, and he's still bringing about his perfect will of salvation. This is how we, uh, God has received the nickname Hound of Heaven. I love that. He's the hound of heaven. He's tracking us down. He's pursuing us. The, the gospel is about God going out and tracking us down, seeking us, and bringing us to himself. So first, the gospel is for everyone. Secondly, the gospel is about God and what he is doing. And then finally, final observation I want to call out, is the gospel is free justification to all who believe. So as I mentioned earlier in the, in the intro, this is kind of the first passage, where, I mean, it's very early in Paul's life where that we are, I guess, he's talked about in scripture. But this is the first passage where we see him talk about the doctrine of justification, which turns out to be a massive theme for Paul. Um, just so we're all on the same page, what is, it, what is justification? Justification is the doctrine that we are declared righteous before God. Although we are sinners, we are declared righteous. Um, so it's not just that we're not sin, it's not just that we're sinless, it's that we're righteous. Um, Tony Morita. Tony Marina, um, he says, speaking of justification, he says, just as it, it's just as if I've never sinned. It's not just as if I've never sinned, but also just as if I've always obeyed. So we're taking from sinless to 100% pure righteousness. Justification could arguably be the most awesome and glorious doctrine to a population of hellbound sinners. Each one of us, along with all the individuals in Antioch and every person that's walked in the earth, feel the guilt of, I mean, at some point we feel the guilt. We know we're guilty. We know we're sinless. 
sorry, sinful. We know, we feel that weight. And there is none right before God, not one of us. But how could we gain this justification? How, is it, is it, you know, through doing some great deed? Nope. As in, as in verse 39, it says, well, actually, I'm going to jump back to 38. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So who receives this justification? Everyone who believes is freed. I love that. So simple. In verse 39, everyone who believes is freed. There's no deeds to be done. You just have to want it. You have to want Jesus. To believe that he died. That he's offering salvation to you. To draw this point out, Paul, Paul makes clear that salvation cannot be earned. So the, this last part of verse 39 where he says, where you could not be freed from the law of Moses. So again, this is, there's Jews and Gentiles present here, but it is in the Jewish synagogue. And the Jews were very, very devout. Possibly where the phrase being religious about something came about. They, they were very religious. They were very devout. And the law of Moses had, it was a good thing, but its purpose was never to bring peace between God's people and God. It was never meant to be a gateway into heaven, a gateway into God's presence. However, the Jewish people had continued to elevate the law of Moses, and it had turned into this, oh, if you obey, you must obey, and you can be in God's good graces. However, that's not, that's not his purpose. It was always meant to look us, or get us to look forward to the Messiah, to get us to look forward to the coming king who would deliver us from the weight of sin. We know in Galatians down the road, we say, Paul says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also, Paul himself, we've believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So just to summarize this, the one thing that every human being longs for, to be free from, namely sin and the guilt and the weight that comes with it, that thing we are completely incapable of accomplishing is only through Jesus that we can be delivered. Again, I'm going to co uh, quote Tony Moreta. He, he describes, I think, accurately... Um, our culture, because for the Jews and the Gentiles at that time, even the devout Gentiles, it's like the law of Moses, that was like, oh, you can obey this and you, you know, you can possibly find peace and, and be in God's presence. But for us, it's a little different. 
Um, nowadays, people will try, he says, people will try everything to get rid of the guilt they feel, to deal with unsettled consciences. They will try therapy, exercise, diets, medicine, and countless other remedies. And while these things can treat some of the symptoms of underlying issues, they won't ultimately heal a person of his or her real problems. You have the religious types, and they often will try to deal with their guilt by religious performance, but this typically leads to pride or to despair. He goes on to talk about those who just try to dismiss guilt, and I think in our culture those would be the distractors. I'm going to distract myself to death so I, so I don't think about the guilt that I feel. But, he continues, he says, God has provided only one solution for the problem of guilt. And that is we must trust in Christ alone. And this, my friends, brothers and sisters, this is good news. And this is the gospel. We, we can't earn it, we just can receive it. Like I said, just want it and receive it and rejoice in it. So in review, the gospel is for all people. It's about God and what he's doing. And it's free justification to all who believe. So as we turn to the second, uh, second part of this, this passage and also just the second part of this sermon, what we see in verse 40 and 41, we see um, Paul gives us a cautionary transition, if you will. He gives his audience a warning and it serves as a fair warning for us as well. Um, it's a quote, verse 41 is a quote from Habakkuk 1.5. So look with me down at verse 40. Paul says, Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. So the warning is this. Don't sweep this gospel message aside. The consequences are eternally devastating. Don't, don't ignore it or say later. Try to distract yourself. Today is the day. Don't distract yourself from the gospel. If you're here today and you're hearing me, then you're hearing, I'm not speaking for God, but this is his word, and this is, you're hearing God speaking. God's speaking to you. Listen. And that's what Paul's telling his audience. He said, this, this gospel message don't, message, don't ignore it. Don't say later. Leading up to today, my prayer has just been that each one of us, myself included, just that, that we'd have hearts to perceive and see the beauty of the gospel. I think so many of us have grown up in the church and we've heard the gospel so many times, it's easy to almost become numb to it or not excited about it. And my prayer is that today, those of us who do know the gospel, that it may be just refreshed 
And may our hearts sing and rejoice for the realities of the gospel, the truths of the gospel, which we do love and cherish and which are, we long for. And to those that maybe don't know, I pray that you'd see it afresh for the first time. But also my second part of that prayer is that we would respond rightly. The gospel, although free, has great meaning. It, it, it has meaning and impact on our lives. And my prayer is that each one of us may respond rightly to the gospel. I lost my place here. So, as we get to the second part, I want to look at the two responses we see in this passage to the gospel. You have um, the Jewish leaders, they respond one well, one way, and then the others, which are arguably predominantly Gentiles, given the area, although this was again a synagogue where there's a lot of Jews present, the area it's likely a lot of Gentiles. And so there's two responses to the gospel. There's two responses then, there's two responses now. One being faith and belief. And the second being unbelief and rejection. And so let's look at the first one, just responding in faith and belief. What does that look like? In verse 42, we see that as they went out, so as Paul and Barnabas went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke to them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So the first thing about faith and belief is that you're begging to hear more. You are excited. You are persistent. You have a hunger for the things of God. And these people tasted the Lord, they tasted the gospel, they tasted the goodness, and they perceived from Paul's message that it was truly good news, and they wanted more. They were begging them to come back again. It always strikes me as very bizarre when you meet a um, person who... Uh, who doesn't go to church, and they say, oh, yeah, I, I've accepted Christ, and, um, you know, I know most of the things in the Bible, or I know, I've heard, heard most of those sermons. It's like, have, have we plumbed the depths of God? Have you, are you bored with God? That's just, it's so foreign. Like, believers do not talk like that. Believers are excited they, they've tasted the Lord and they want more. It's like, I, I think this is what the parable of the talents is often talking about. It's like those of us that lean in to the Lord and have leaned in, you know that the Lord is always good to give more of himself. It's not always immediate and often it's long deserts, but the Lord is faithful and he gives more of himself. We know that when we sit at his feet and wait, that he will give more of himself. He will, sh he will open our eyes to see more of him, to love him more. Again, I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it's immediate. 
But part of faith is just wanting more and, and, and believing that he is the only one. It's like, who else will we go to? As mm-hmm. Peter said, where else will I turn? The second part we see in verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I love this. These people went out and like told everybody. The entire town shows up the following week. These people went out and they spread good news. Have you heard this message? No, you need to be at the synagogue next week. You've got to show up. You've got to hear this. When was the last time, Refuge, <laughs> that you told everybody in your sphere of influence, you've got to be at church on Sunday, you're not going to believe this message? Or told them right there. These people didn't worry about how people might receive it. They went out and said, I, you can't live without this. You have to hear this. And we see in verse 49 later that the news ended up spreading throughout the whole region. One just cautionary note here. They didn't say Paul was such a great speaker. You got to come hear Paul. They said the message was undeniably good news. Come and hear about Jesus. As John pointed out last week, Jesus is a missionary Jesus. God is a missionary God. And we as people must be missionary people. Final uh, component of faith, if you will, or just like observation of these people here in Antioch and how they responded in faith. We see in verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, so the Gentiles just heard that they are part of it. When they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Remember, as we talked about, Jews were kind of second class in the, in the synagogue and the Jewish religious system. When they hear that they are full participants, fully justified, receive full salvation, there's no second class citizens in the house of God, they go nuts. He said, this is too good to be true, and they rejoice and they praise God. No, I'm over. So quickly, we will go over unbelief. But that's what we want. We want to respond with belief. But then we see the opposite of this. So quickly, unbelief and rejection. We see this from the religious leaders. And again, going back to verse 42, you have this group that follows Paul and Barnabas as they leave the synagogue. But then you don't hear that the religious leaders follow. So you almost have this non-interest. And we know that they didn't follow because when Paul and Barnabas came back the following week, the religious leaders were ticked. They weren't happy that they were there. And so unbelief, it's often just like non-interest. The the religious leaders, they weren't following Paul and Barnabas. They didn't want any more. They were like, ah, this is yawn-worthy. 
We don't know why. We find out that they're jealous later, but, but they, they were not finding Paul's message to be good news. It did not register as good news for them. The second observation and final is just that they ended up not just not interested, but then they ended up opposing, hindering, and suppressing the gospel. And I think that's how it often happens. It, it, it's hard to be neutral on the gospel. Typically, people love it or hate it. And it may start with, you know, just some non-interest, but that typically grows. And we see in verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and reviling him. And then later, we know that they ended up turning the entire city against Paul and Barnabas in such a way that they had to flee the area. So what were they jealous about? I mean, the Jews were God's chosen people. Why would they be jealous about Gentiles? You'd think they would be excited about more people showing up at the synagogue. But remember, they controlled the system. They had some prestige. They had some clout. They had some prominence. It was God's desire always that Israel would be his light, his beacon. That they would bring the good news to the world but they didn't want to do that. It became a source of pride. And therefore, when the opportunity came, they passed on it. And they resisted it. But as we said, God is a moving God and he would not pause. He will proceed without them. And so the Jews forfeited their role. They forfeited their privilege to take part in God's moving and in his work. And I think that's just a quick warning for us because we too, similar to the Jews, we have God's word. We have the good news. We have the keys to life. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to share it and be a part of God's work? We talk about often about seeing where God's moving in the community around us and joining him. I've heard one preacher say that, like, find a waterfall where God's working and just go stand under it. This is our calling. This is our privilege. Let's not be like the Jews and pass on this opportunity. Let's not be quiet. Because as I said, it's hard to be neutral on the gospel. It'll often end up either love it or hate it either support it or inhibit it. So, as we draw this to a close, Jordan, if you want to come back up, um, I can just imagine a few responses people might be feeling. If this is all new and your heart's rejoicing, praise God. If you're saying, yes, that's what I want, I would ask you to connect with someone afterwards. You can connect with me, connect with one of the elders, connect with someone next to you. I'd love to pray with you. That's so great. Um, I can imagine for some of you, this is a great reminder. You know, you've heard this, 
And I pray that your heart is rejoicing and refreshed and encouraged as you go out from here. I, I pray that you go out excited to share the good news, reminded of the greatness of the Lord. But then I think there's a third group who maybe you were excited about the gospel at some time. You can remember past seasons of being excited and drinking in the goodness of the Lord. But if you're honest, you're just not there right now. It's uh, maybe you're weary, maybe you're tired. Maybe it seems like the Lord has been quiet. Um, maybe you're just distracted. I don't know. It could be any number of things. But I think this is an opportunity, and I invite you um, just to be honest with God. Don't ignore this. Don't sweep this aside and say later. Don't walk out and forget. Talk to God and share where you're at. Be honest and say, God, I'm having a hard time loving you right now, or I am loving something other than you right now. Be relentless at throwing yourself on the mercies of God and his grace. Be like the neighbor in the parable who like pestered his neighbor, kept on bothering him until the guy opened up and gave him some dinner. That is how God calls us to interact with them. We have a good heavenly father. Pester him. Go to him relentlessly because you need his mercy and you know that he is a merciful God, that he is good news. Jesus is good news. Thank you.